Business Matters in association with the Faculty of Business at ATU Donegal. The part-time Level 8 Honours degree in business is delivered through a mix of online and face-to-face lectures. Email execedbusiness at lyit.ie. That's E-X-E-C-E-D business at lyit.ie or call 9186206. I'm Kieran O'Donnell. You're welcome to Business Matters. My guest this week is Kieran Doherty, Operations Manager and Skipper with the Anya Fishing Company based in Burtonport. Kieran is also chairperson of the Killebegs Fisherman's Organisation. He first went to sea at the age of four and joined the family-owned business on a full-time basis while still in his teens in 1992. Three years later, he got his captain's licence. Anya Fishing Company was started by his father Joseph, who bought his first boat in 1970 at the age of 19. The company currently employs 16 people. Kieran, you're very welcome to Business Matters. Thank you, Kieran, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak to you here today. Kieran, I suppose we'll go back to the, the start and your own involvement with the family-run company. Well, I would have started in '92 um, as an employee of the company with my father, and it came about. I mean, it came about because Donegal actually won the All Ireland in 1992. Um, a lot of the crew had gone to Dublin for the match and they kind of got lost on their way home so my father was going to fish early the next morning and I was taken out as cover and that was it I'd always a love for fishing all through my teenage years my father and mother was trying to keep me at school rather than I just wanted to go fishing and from from my early childhood everything was fishing fishing so it was uh, it was a good job to keep me at school because I needed that education from school for later years. But at that time, I didn't realise that. But um, yeah, '92 was I was intending to go to college, and that week I did uh, when Donegal won the All Ireland. Just changed the whole thing because I just went fishing then, and I've been fishing since. Thirty years is a long time, and and one sector, Kieran. Yeah, it is, but it's gone. It's gone by very quickly like I mean when you look back now and you like you say there now is 30 years to me it's like five years ago the, the year's going so quick and they seem to be getting quicker every year um, yeah and it's uh, a lot has changed in our industry since that but um, we're still here and still enjoying it Kieran, we're in the company's office here in Burtonport, and I suppose behind me on the wall are four photos of your father's four boats. Maybe a wee idea, maybe to take us through the sequence from left to right on the first boat here. Well, that, that would have been when the boats went from being the traditional wooden vessels that would have been along the coastline here, and it was a natural uh, trend to progress from wooden boats into the steel vessels, and that went because of market. Um, uh, the type of fish that was being caught was a, a, a pelagic fishery that migrate from Ireland up to Norway and back again. So the whole pattern of the fishing had changed from fishing along the coastline to you actually had to follow the fish. So when the fish migrated, my father and them, they needed vessels to, to be able to go up to Scotland and to Norway and fish in the North Sea over the winter months. So it was a natural progression from the wooden vessels to going to the steel vessels. Sorry, Kieran, and your father, he got involved because of his family involvement as well in a previous business? Yeah, well, his older brothers would have all, like a lot of people around here, everybody did the same, they went away to Scotland or England to find work. And 
they did the same. They were working in the mines in Scotland, and it was dangerous work. And it was um, they did it for seven or eight years, and then they got money together. And um, uh, my uncle Seamus then bought a vessel, and all the all the brothers actually crewed on it. And my father was a twin, and him and his uh, brother actually job shared because there wasn't enough. Bairds for them all, or work for them all, so they job shared week about. And then it just progressed from there. My other uncle Frank, he got a vessel then, and and then my father then at 19 got his first vessel. And it was just from help from the brothers to to get a leg up to get there. So they had three vessels then between them, wooden vessels. He was quite young to take on such a challenge, wasn't he? Yeah, he was young. I mean, him and his brother, twin brother, and uh, a neighbour. Um, but the the combined age between the three of them was I think fifty six or something at the time, so they started off fishing for salmon, and then in the winter time they would fish on his brother's boats, fishing the heron in the uh, in the winter time, and yeah, so it, it it progressed from the the small wooden vessels, and it was the same in plenty of other families around here, the same type of vessels, and then the whole the whole dynamics of it changed in the late seventies when it was like um, they either had to invest in a vessel to follow the fish and the pattern of fishing had changed along the Irish coastline to um, going up off Scotland and that was the start of building the the steel vessels and then the international countries was doing it anyway so you had to keep up with your international competitors so they actually went and built the first steel vessels and my father's first steel owner was built in Killy Beggs in 1981 so he was about 30 years of age that time when he got that vessel built. And just in terms of the spec of that vessel, Kieran, can you talk to me a wee bit about that? Well, it would have been a steel boat, refrigerated seawater to keep the fish cool so that it would last for a few days on board the vessel. And it would be, uh, to be modern vessels, like the, the comforts would be a lot better than the wooden vessels at the time. And you could go out in a lot rougher weather. Um, travel further and yeah that was it and then that vessel progressed then to he had it from 1981 to 1997 and then the second vessel there was built in 97 in Holland and it's just like anything it's like cars or or, uh, airplanes everything just gets more modern more uh, more advanced and that's it's like if you don't if you don't keep reinvesting in the vessels yeah, yeah, you can get left behind. So, I mean, we have a thing that every 10 years you, you want to be in a position that you're changing for another vessel. Uh, otherwise, the vessels get too old and the techn- technological advances get uh, too advanced and then the market demands that, whether it be the refrigeration, whether it be the, the electronics technology on board them. So you have to keep advancing. It's, it's the same as any industry. If you don't keep putting back into the business, you, you, you just get left behind. So you have, to, you have to do that at all times. And then he upgraded again in 97, is that correct? 97 and then 2003. The next vessel was built in Denmark. And then the vessel we have now was built in 2017. Can you give a wee bit of detail uh, about your current vessel? The current vessel was built. Well, we signed the contract in 2015, so it was all it was all before Brexit materialised. So um, it was. It's like any time you go to 
change the vessel. The nature of fishing is that it's always the quotas we catch, we're given a set amount to catch on a yearly basis, and it's all done on scientific advice. So there's always fluctuations in fishing. That's that's just been the history of it. The science puts up quotas and takes down quotas. But you, you look at it over the long term, and it's it's never an easy decision to build a new boat because it's a big expenditure. It's a big commitment, and it's uh, you take on that commitment for at least 10 years, and you have obligations to meet. And um, we took that decision in 2015, myself and my mother and father and the rest of the family. And we didn't know that Brexit was going to be in the equation at that time, but it has, and we knew, we're, we're well aware of the fallout in the fishing industry on, on the Brexit. But um, uh, nevertheless, if I still am of the opinion that if you don't keep modernising the vessels, you get left behind, and you just have to... It's, it's like I said previous, any industry, if it's a hotel, if you don't refurbish your hotel and revamp it, uh, the customers won't come, and it's the same with our vessels. The customers for us is the markets in Asia, and then they demand that the fish is coming out of modern high-tech vessels, and that's what they that's what they expect to see when they come to Quayside. Kieran, I see the name Anya very prominently on all four photos of the four different boats. What's the background to that name? The name would have came from my father's mother was was Anne, and my my own mother was Anne, and that's where he took the name from. They're a combination of their names, and Irish Anya. You mentioned Brexit, Kieran. How? Frustrating has the Brexit uh, situation been for you and your industry over the last number of years? Well, it's been it's been well uh, publicised in all the media outlets, even in the local Highland Radio RT about the, the bad deal Ireland got. And I mean, there's no two ways to say it. It's it's been a terrible deal for Ireland. Um, there's it's quite simple for the listener people listening. Sometimes they don't understand it and they think it's complicated. It's not complicated. It's very simple. There was, be, there was going to be fish transferred to the UK from the EU. There's nine fishing countries in the EU. There's 180 million has been transferred and will be transferred on an annual basis going forward to the UK. And Ireland's on the hook for about 45 million of that. I mean, if it was only done normal mathematics by nine countries, I mean, the bill would be half that. But... Who made the decision, or who agreed with the decision, that Ireland actually had to pay way more than any other EU country? And this is on the backdrop of us, since we joined the EU, of being the poor relation as regards uh, the amount of quotas we get out of the European pot. And let's not forget that um, the western the western shelf of Ireland. Is, is the is the fish basket of Europe. That is where the fish is. We've got the coastline, we've got the fish, the fish is out there. These other nations on, on continental Europe, they don't have that resource. But the problem is, is we don't get a fair share of it. And not alone a fair share at European level, but there's a, a bigger picture international level where you have coastal states in the North Atlantic are just coming in and they just... They basically just write they write a check for what they want to take. If if they, if they want a hundred thousand ton, they just come and take it. And that's where we need that the European Union start standing up to these guys because the fish is out there. 
It's just the Irish, the Irish industry just needs a more share of it. And what happened in Brexit was actually, and it was a disgrace actually what happened, that it was allowed to happen that Ireland would be paying double what any other country paid in the transfer to the UK. And there was a narrative being peddled by the European Commission after it happened that it was our geographical location. Well, the fishing industry is completely rubbish that. I mean, it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny or factual evidence. Um, every other country is as close to the UK, France, Belgium, Holland. And what's actually more galling is that a lot of these countries catch a lot of their uh, fish in the North Sea on the east coast of England and Scotland. And they really needed access to get into fish in the UK waters. And a lot of the Irish vessels could have caught it west of Ireland. So uh, that narrative has been dispelled by the industry. But that was that's what the European Commission tried to justify what they done to us. So uh, as of where we are now, we're fighting that. And we're looking, you would have heard the term burden sharing. Now, I know myself... Being realistic, that's going to be hard to get anything back once it's been negotiated away. But we're not accepting that it can't be taken back or that we can get something back. What is a realistic solution from your point of view? There has to be some form of equalisation throughout the European nations. I mean, if it was done at the time, at, at Christmas 2020 when the deal was done, if it was done across the board that nine countries shared it equally, so they would have all accepted it. So there was... They've actually escaped out the door uh, and a, to a lesser extent of a pay to the UK than the, the Irish industry has. So I don't believe for one minute, if the right political will is there, that um, something can be done that we get we get an equal share. We, we mightn't get it all back. We don't believe we'll get it all, but we have to get something back. I mean, it's, 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 it's within the remit of the Taoiseach and, and our minister to do this. But first of all, they need, to, they need to ask the question and they need to ask the hard questions. And from an industry perspective, we see is that who made the decision at the European Union that this would be done to Ireland and who agreed to it? It's either one or the other. It just didn't happen by, by, by chance. How hopeful are you of a resolution? Well, I'm not a betting man, but, you know, we, we feel hard done by and I mean, we're looking at it from a factual basis. I mean, the fish is out there. It's in the Irish, it's swimming in the Irish waters. So why should we be paying double the penalty compared to other EU nations who have to travel their vessels and steam for two or three days to start fishing off the west coast of Ireland and we're on the doorstep and yet and all, we've, we, we've been suffering the most pain in this transfer to the UK. So... On a factual basis, we're, that's why we're demanding to get fish back, and that's what we expect. Kieran, in relation to the Anya Fishing Company, can you tell me a wee bit about how the, the firm is set up? Well, it's um, it would have been my father originally. He would have ran it along with my mother. And um, then when I started fishing, it was just a natural progression that... Um, yeah, you just I had the interest in it, and my father took it so far. And I mean, I have to commend my father and the people of his generation, and in, in this in, in the Donegal area and around the coastline of Ireland in the fishing industry. I mean, they didn't go to college, they didn't go to university, but they had a they had a foresight and they had a belief in themselves, and they took they took these businesses from small coastline. Uh, wooden vessels which were 
which were advanced at that time in the 60s and the 70s. And they progressed it and they took big risks and uh, private risks and at, at certain junctures along the way. Um, it would have been much easier just to stay the status quo, stay where they were. But they kept reinvesting in this private enterprise that they did. And it, it ended up where, when I started fishing in 1992, that um, it was a good vessel. And within a few years of me fishing, I could see that we needed to advance it again. So the the boat that was built in ninety seven would have been done just in consultation with me and my father and his brother and built in ninety seven and then the next vessel was built in two thousand and three and the boat built in two thousand and seventeen would have been me that would have been myself that would have been pushing that we need to do this. And I have to acknowledge like at the end of the day, my my family could have turned around and said, No, it's a big financial commitment. I don't think we should do it. Why Why bother? Because there's always ups and downs in the fishing on quotas. And there's a lot of regulations. And maybe it would be just better to stand still. But um, we didn't do that. And that's that's the kind of thing we always... And my father always agreed with it as well, in fairness to him. And I see that if you don't, if you don't keep reinvesting in, in the business, um, you will get left behind, like I said earlier. And then that, that gets back to the Brexit thing and burden sharing you only can reinvest in a business if you have enough fish because in, in our industry fishes fishes are our capital that's where that's our money if if we get fish we can make money but at the minute the way the with the way the brexit transfer is going and the way things is happening internationally um it's it's making things a lot more difficult so there's a lot of uncertainty in our industry at the minute how many are employed by your company here at the minute? There's 16 of us employed in the company, so there would be 11 on board the vessel. We have um, some of the guys as what is for 40 years. Um, the engineer, uh, the other skipper along with myself, John Boyle, has been with my father over 40 years. Um, how, vi- I'm sorry, how valuable is that experience in these current times to have somebody like that? experience in the crew and it would be it would be the same it would be shared with a lot of the vessels around in, in Ireland that the, we retain Irish crew and that experience is vital I mean you know when you go out because we work we work in harsh conditions we don't fish in the summer our type of fishing the other vessels in the Irish industry the white fish and the crab they fish all year round our particular annual fishing we fish um, the winter months so it's harsh conditions it's dangerous conditions and a, a good a good experienced crew is vital and and that's what we have and that that is what uh, that's what our industry has as, as in a whole in Kelly Beggs is that we've really really uh, experienced crew and that's been proven where they've been selling gear all over the world to different nations and but the continuity of that crew on board us is good. the least amount of years one of our crew is is 22 years so they've been what as we all know each other there doesn't need to be much communication when we're hauling shooting nets and all that and doing our everyday work it just happens everybody knows their role and that's that's vital and uh, that goes back to another that goes back to that we that's why it's so important that you have the fish and that you keep continuing to get enough fish to sustain the business because if it starts going down their wages goes down 
and then they might seek opportunities somewhere else some of the younger guys on the crew so and then that's where you go down the road then that you start getting crew that's not experienced and then that's that's not a good business model but as regards the crew we've 14 or 11 on board this year uh, I have a nephew that's in transition year and he's keen all through his teenage years he reminds me a bit of myself when I was at that age but I'm still telling him you know finish your education because you know there is a lot of uncertainty but I'm always optimistic that, that that these challenges will be overcome and that there will be a future there for him but that goes back to that we need the politi- political will at national level and international level to, to, to pursue what we're telling them at industry level the political the politicians need to listen to what the industry is saying because there's nobody knows the industry more than the people that's involved in it and I mean politicians come and go different governments come and go but what's always what's always uh, there all the time is the knowledge of the fishing industry but uh, we have four then in the office and and then we have a guy then that does uh, uh, we need different things done so he's kind of like a, a handyman so yeah that's the that's the four or sixteen of us that work in the company. Kieran, you mentioned that you don't fish the summer months. So when does your season begin? And can you talk to me a wee bit about the process there? It starts about the end of September, going into October. And the f- first fishing we would do would be um, mackerel, and it would be up off the Shetland Islands. How long would it take you to get th- to get there? About summer? a day and a half. That's from Killy Beggs. That's from Killy Beggs. And the vessels we have now, like. When I was saying earlier about the technological uh, advances in the vessels, um, when, we, when I would have started fishing in the, in the early 90s and through the 90s, we didn't have the vessels that was capable of becoming taking fish back to Killy Beggs or back to Ireland. These vessels now, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. You can go up and you can take the fish and take them back to weather permitting. If the weather isn't suiting to come back, then you have to go somewhere else. But um, we have the vessels now in Killy Beggs that can go up and take the fish back in October. And then that fish will follow. It's usually, it'll, it'll migrate south then, coming into Christmas in January, February, until it spawns off the south coast of Ireland in, uh, in March and April. Uh, you mentioned weather conditions. How bad can the conditions get here when you're at sea? Oh, I mean... <laughs> You, you, anybody at home along the coastline or even in Ireland living anywhere in Ireland we watch RT news during the winter time you hear about storm they have I mean one time there was never names on them but now it's all yellow warnings orange warnings and it's uh, they have names on them and they go along they, they go well through the alphabet there's that many storms and there we'll take a break Business Matters in association with the Faculty of Business at ATU Donegal the part-time Level 8 Honours Degree in Business is delivered through a mix of online and face-to-face lectures. Email execedbusiness at lyit.ie. That's E-X-E-C-E-D business at lyit.ie or call 9186206. You're welcome back. Before the break, Kieran was talking about the dangers of fishing during the winter months. And what people doesn't realise on the land is that when they're at home wondering about they might have to put away the uh, stuff outside from getting blown away but the fishermen are actually out in that and I don't think they get the concept that of what's actually involved in being out in that weather and it is dangerous and, but the, the, the fishermen know their own capabilities to be out in the weather but you have to be out in it 
because if, if you need to catch your quota, um, you need to be out. You might have to travel out through a storm to be out so that if there's a, a cam on the storm, you get a bit of fishing because you just can't sit and wait for the weather to, because the weather just doesn't get good in the winter. So it's just the nature of the business, but we accept that. And that's why it's so important that we have the boats that can actually, that are that are new and that are capable of being out in, in them harsh conditions and that are safe for the, the crews that's out there on, on the vessels. But, I mean, there's there's been plenty of days and nights at sea that uh, you go out and you kind of wonder maybe it was the wrong decision to be out in this, this bit of weather or this storm. And you, you might wish you had a different occupation in that particular time frame. And how long would you be away from home at any given time, Kieran? It's got shorter over the years because to the vessels now we can take fish back. But when I started fishing, you went up at the end of September and you were based in the Shetland Islands. That was your that was your hub. That's where you based yourself. And you landed your fish between Norway and the Shetland Islands in Scotland. And you would be up there at the end of September and you wouldn't be home till Christmas. And you got home for Christmas maybe on the 22nd, 23rd of December. And you were gone again on Boxing Day. It was a short turnaround? So it was a short turnaround and you'd, you'd just after done maybe two and a half months away. And then January, then you went back again. And as, as the fish migrated back south then, you would spend like February, March, then back fishing out of Killybegs and landing to Cork and whatever ports as the fish went south. But yeah, it, um, it's changed now. The longest we'd be away, depending on what quotas we have on a particular year, you could be away five weeks. But you wouldn't be at sea for five weeks, the nature of our fishing. You would be at sea, the longest we would be at sea would be 10 days, depending on the fishery, but normally five, six days at sea. And then you would be ashore somewhere, unloading your catch, whether it be Norway, Denmark, Scotland or Ireland. Would you have a favourite place to, to dock here when you're away from home? Uh, you would have a lot of favourites, to be honest. Um, they're, uh, fishing's a very f- small network. Um, the Norwegian fishermen would know who we are, we know who they are. Same with the Danes and the Scotch. Uh, our sectors, uh, it would be a bit like... Uh, any any industry but it's more so that we know each other very well and uh, yeah Denmark would be a a place I would like a lot we land there it's um, but they're friendly no matter where you go I mean at the end of the day you're coming with produce and they're glad to see you coming so there's always a good welcome for you no matter where you go you mentioned the, the ongoing negative effects of, of Brexit, Kieran. How impacting has COVID been on your business over the last two plus years? Well, COVID, like everybody, when it happened in 2020, nobody knew what was going on. But in fairness, straight away, like we were wondering, were we going to be held in, in the ports? Were we going to be allowed to go out? And you were thinking, well, we have to get out. We have to catch our quotas because they're going to swim past Ireland. And if we don't catch them, uh, it's not a good situation but um, in fairness we were straight away uh, regarded as a, as a necessity industry that we had to that we had to be allowed to continue and we did so apart from when we landed back in Killybegs we weren't allowed to go off the we well we imposed it on ourselves we just said we have to stay on board because we couldn't you couldn't um, risk anybody picking up COVID because you didn't know then that if you were out the next catch and somebody picked up COVID would your catch get rejected there was a lot of unknowns and it's the same as everybody in the wider and and just the whole world was like that nobody knew what was going to happen but um, 
it was a bit surreal because when we were actually out fishing and we'd done a week on board and nobody nobody was feeling any symptoms of COVID or anything. It was just business as normal. We were just catching fish. and You were sort of detached then? Because that we was your were world. detached. Yeah, we were out just doing what we normally did. And and then you were ringing home and everybody at home was all these scare stories and people worried and naturally. But we were actually out. And when we were out there, you were just doing what you did. And it was a bit surreal because it was it was normal. And then you came back ashore to unload and then it wasn't normal. And then you had all the challenges then. The processors were wondering about, you know, transportation uh, exporting and export costs went up and all that. There was a lot of unknowns at the time. Um, a lot of the vessels then, our sector was um, wouldn't have been as badly affected as the the whitefish sector. But the whitefish sector was very bad because the whole continental Europe restaurants and that, and that's what they supply. They supply fresh fish that goes to continental Europe, and that market completely collapsed. And the supports did. The, the industry looked for supports supports did come in but I felt there weren't enough they were very far short of what was needed and the delay was far too long I mean these guys weren't able to go to fish they weren't even to, able to make a profit uh, then they started giving them uh, storage fees so that they could go out catch them get so much and then when the things uh, if the pandemic would go past that they could sell on the fish out of storage but a lot of things like that there has to be done a lot quicker that's far too slow have, have lessons been learned do you feel? well time will tell if lessons has been learned and I don't think they have because the fuel crisis that's happened out of the Ukrainian war and the the, the prices of fuel going up um, all you hear is yeah we're, we we listen to you think of me and we're 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 keeping an eye on it and we'll we'll uh sympathize with you and but your words is no good when, when something's happening in real time and fishermen have to have obligations to lending institutions etc uh, they can't wait for people to do reports uh, these things need to happen a lot faster and put put things in place for fishermen because it's out of their control. I mean, it is it is a war, it is a war time, and that's what's having the effect. And it's not just fishermen; it's happening everybody in public life, like whether it's uh, buying groceries or heating in their houses. It's it, it, it's everything. So, but uh, as regards the industry, there is mechanisms there. There is money there available, but it just takes far too long at administration level to get to the people that need it. Tell me, Kieran, if you weren't operations manager at Anya Fishing Company and the skipper as well, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Um, running. Uh, as you know, Kieran, I do a lot of running as well in the summer months and that. But um, no, um, at the minute I'm involved with the KFO because I'm chairman of the KFO as well. So that takes up a lot of my time at the minute. And a lot of us to do what we've been speaking about here this morning, Brexit, uh, Borden sharing coastal states, and then we've the, the weigh-in issue that's going on in Killy Beggs. And that's taken up a lot of my time at the minute. So it's not, even though the chairmanship, it's, uh, it's a lot of different sectors within our industry, from the crab fishermen to the whitefish to the pelagic. Um, uh, a lot of it has an effect on my business and annual fishing as well. So... If I wasn't running Anya Fishing Company, um, I don't know, you would have a lot, a lot less uh, headaches at the minute as regards. But a lot of ours is coming from 
a lot of it's coming from its administration that's causing a lot of the problems at the minute. And and I believe it's a lot of it's unnecessary. Tell me, Kieran, what advice would you give your twenty one year old self? Twenty one year old self When I was twenty one we were that busy fishing because at that time you were fishing about ten months of the year. It was just learn uh, it was a learning process all the time. You were trying to learn as much as the guys on board the vessel along with you and you were trying to understand it as much as possible. Um so at that time it was very hard to you you didn't look past that we confront you fishing wise but looking back now what would I have changed um, I think I would have got more active a little bit sooner along with my father to progress things a wee bit sooner but then it's very easy to say it now in hindsight and with a bit of experience but um, yeah but uh, apart from that, no, I would have got, uh, I just uh, wouldn't have really changed anything. And what is the best lesson that you've learned in business to date, Kieran? Well, as I said earlier, lots of ups and downs in the fishing. You make the, you make choices and sometimes you, you might listen to other people and make a choice on, on what you think you're advised and my only... What, what I see anyway over the last 30 years is whatever decision you make you do look at other people and you get you get ideas and all that there but you have to go with your gut instinct that's what I see and 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 then if it's right or wrong it's you that's made the decision you've done it on what you think and that's one that I believe that um, I like to follow now it's whatever whatever I think myself and you can't be influenced by other what other people are telling you you know because they might have different ideas of what or different reasons so to me it's gut instinct go go with what you think yourself and then if it's right or wrong it's you that's made the decision Kieran when you're out running uh, and you do a lot of running as you mentioned earlier on do you use that time to sort of sort a lot of things in your head when it comes to matters that are arising out of the business you're 100% right there Kieran and I don't leave the door going out thinking oh I'm going to go out now for a run for 10 mile and I'm going to think about this and think about what's going on it just comes into your head and it's uh, it's kind of funny but it does come into your head and it's not it's not like you're going down the road uh, talking to yourself or giving out but you do put things around in your head and I find it's one of the best things you could ever do and I would uh, and you hear a lot of it now people say that all people, whether it's walking or going for a cycle or walk a beach, it, it, it is a great way for um, tossing out ideas or tossing out things that's going on in, in your head uh, that in, in business like. And it's funny that you say that, but uh, that actually happens to me a lot when I'm out running. And it mightn't be for the whole run, but and then sometimes an idea will pop up in your head while you're out. So yeah. It's uh, funny you mention that. And running is a big part of life in your house as well, Kieran. With with your wife Theresa, very active as well. Yeah, it's um, that's where I met Theresa. I actually met her through running, and as you know, the Grand Prix circuit and uh, all the different uh, races around the county and around Ireland, and that's where I actually met Theresa. It was at a at one of the running meets, and um, yeah, uh, I took a it was a good job I was fit because it took me a while to to chase her down and. But uh, I eventually got there, and we got married in 2013, and 
Um, yeah, she ran with Finn Valley and I ran with Letha Kenny, which you know is the two rivals in the county. So, um, yeah, running's a big part of the day. Like when we get up in the morning, if I'm not out the door first, she'll be out the door and vice versa. And I think it's a great... Uh, running reminds me a bit of running the business, to be quite honest. Um, a lot of times you have to put in the hard work and to... to to reap the benefits and if you don't put in the hard work you'll yeah, you won't uh, Do you do much on the treadmill on the boat here when you're away? I do um, <clears throat> uh, more so if you're if you're kind of just at the start of our season in September and you're you're still fit coming out of the summer months um, I can if I'm doing a couple of trips start season I'll really put a big effort in on the treadmill, which isn't easy because even in a cam day, the boat still rolls, but I've got used to it over the years. And you just know that your competitors are at home. You know that, right, they've, they've gone up to Dublin now tonight to run a meet. And then you just get on that treadmill and you just you, you just try to replicate a race or something like that to just to try and say, it's, I think it's more mental thing to keep yourself uh, mentally fit as well as physically fit. But in the winter months, as you get further into the winter months, it's, it's only a matter of um, keeping in, uh, keeping some sort of fitness. I like a challenge. Like I do like a challenge. Everybody likes life to work easy, but uh, that's not the way it is. But um, yeah, I, uh, I I would look at the results, like say there at Christmas time, and my fitness might go down, and it could be a Norway landing fish, and I see some of the guys and see what they're doing, and I just can't wait to get out on the roads in Norway and just do a time trial for myself and see how I go you were part of the wire challenge there at the weekend you had a wee bit of success there yeah I was in with a I was asked a couple of evenings before to join one of the local teams uh, uh, one of the guys he used to box at Dunlow and um, a couple of the boys from um, Burton Port one of them's a good cyclist and the other fellow's a good runner as well and we put in a team and we uh, we won the war relay team and uh, yeah it's a great event it's a great event down here and it's um, people come from all over Ireland and the community down here it, it, it wouldn't be a success without the community even the guys standing at the crossroads all the volunteers if you didn't have them you wouldn't be able to run it and the people that run war know that but it's a fantastic event on our doorstep and I mean on at the weekend there when it was on I mean the good weather and it just showcases what we have here in the northwest with the beaches and the scenery and finally Kieran, just getting back to business what does the future hold for yourself and your business well at the minute as you know we have the the way in uh, uh, I would call it uh, an unnecessary uh, it, it is unnecessary it doesn't need to be like this I mean it's to me this is what you call it's a bit of bureaucracy going mad like I mean there's one there's one question I put to, to the minister was uh, at one of the meetings we had with them, they say, "Oh, it's, it's EU regulation, and we have to follow it." And, and one of the one of the things I always ask, well, never mind regulation. We know the regulation has to be there, but the regu- if the regulation is flawed and it's not fit for purpose, um, just say say to me, "Do you think it's right or wrong? Is it right or is it wrong?" And to me, it's wrong. That that processing factories can't entice foreign boats to come in to land into Kelly Bags because if they end up being uh, asked to do a monitor and nobody's afraid of the monitor, 
that's meaning weighing five percent of any species has to be weighed at at pure side. That's not the issue. It's not the amount. Nobody's nobody's not wanting to be monitored. It's the method. The method just isn't acceptable for the international buyers, and because it just destroys the quality of fish. And this, there's a narrative coming out from the control authority that um, that it doesn't affect the quality of the fish. Well, they're the only people that has that that train of thought. Everybody else, buyers internationally, people in the industry, everybody knows that's not correct. And the fisherman was actually very proactive, working along with the Fishery Control Authority to build a unit on the pier to overcome this. And it was used. It was used for almost two months. And we wouldn't even be having this conversation about it if it was continued to be used. But between the Control Authority and the EU, they, say, they said that no faith in it, with no factual basis to base that on. So basically, whether if it comes to my company, if I'm out off the coast, I won't know if I'm going to have a monitor before I come in. But the the problem with me getting a monitor is the method of what they're going to make me do with my fish. So if I come in with a catch of fish, I could potentially devalue that catch by up to €100,000. So with the, with the fallout of Brexit and with the fallout of uh, uh, the, the lack of burden sharing, our quotas, we have to maximise every tonne of fish we have. So I can't take the risk sometimes if I'm going to be coming into Killy Beggs and I'm going to be told to do this. So you have people then making choices, well, it might be better to land on another and on another EU. And, and this is what uh, is... This is the... The silly part of this, that I can go then and land in another EU country and I don't have these same... And it, it all goes apart. The control plan, you see, when it was um, when it was submitted, um, there is things that should have been changed in it. And I feel that it can be changed going forward. And um, it's better for the control authority. It's better for the fishing industry. But if there's not a resolution going forward for it, um, it's going to be unworkable. And that's not good for any fishing company. And we need certainty. We've we've had too much uncertainty about everything in pandemics. And now you have the war in Ukraine, and that's adding costs onto the exporting of fish out of Killy Beggs. So this is a, this is one we can do without, and, and it can be solved. The, if the if the administration, the political, want to solve it, they can solve it, and they need to solve it because if they don't, it's going to cost jobs in the northwest and around the coast of Ireland. And that's there's that that is factual. Kieran Doherty, operations manager at Anya Fishing Company and skipper at the same company. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today on Business Matters. Thank you, Kieran. Well, that's our lot for another edition of Business Matters. I'd like to thank my guest, Kieran Doherty. Thanks to Kenneth Wilson on sound, and thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at highlandradio.com. Business Matters, in association with the Faculty of Business at ATU Donegal. The part-time Level 8 Honours degree in business is delivered through a mix of online and face-to-face lectures. Email execedbusiness at lyit.ie. That's E-X-E-C-E-D business at lyit.ie or call 9186206.